Good morning. Hey, have you guys ever found that it's a little easier to love Jesus than Christians? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand. This isn't a new issue. This has been around as long as people have been around. It's like part of us when we're growing up. You know, back in the day when we didn't have car seats, there used to be these turf wars in the back seats. Any of you guys remember those? Like, she's on my spot. He touched me, right? Well, now we have car seats, so kids get along great in the back of the minivan, correct? No? No? Tell him to quit humming that. <laughs> he touched me. Anyway, you know, we, we come into this world with this kind of interesting um, tendency at times to kind of enjoy getting under other people's skin. And I don't know if it's because it makes us feel powerful. I think maybe. It's like, ooh, I did that, and look what happened. It may be because we are born with a sense of insecurity. I think that's part of it, especially as we get a little older. Isn't middle school great? You know, you guys that are in middle school right now, God bless you. We love you. Jesus will get you through this. You remember middle school? Wow. If... Um, if our old nature kind of uh, flared in new ways, if our insecurity found different ways to kind of manifest itself, had to be middle school. And uh, I remember that my dad kind of had a talk with me in middle school. I was talking to Kathy. I think I shared this not long ago. He had three purposes in having a little trip with me, if you will. And I think I talked about the first two, but I didn't talk about the last one. Uh, so I'm, uh, my dad um, was a Vikings fan, and so I inherited that malady. And uh, we will be eating chili and watching it in about 90 minutes. That's just the way it is. Um, but he took me to a game in, uh, in Minneapolis. We lived about an hour away in Lesur. And, and, and he had three purposes. We were going to go enjoy a Vikings game. I loved that, that dad would take me to a Vikings game. Secondly, um, he, he thought it was time because I was in middle school, that we have a talk about the facts of life. You know, that wonderfully comfortable sex talk with your dad. And um, so we had that. And I, by the way, I respect him. Because I know not everybody had that talk with their mom or dad. And we should have those talks with our kids. So I, I joke about it, but I'm so glad that dad had that talk with me. And especially in this culture, uh, Wednesday night, Rebecca Meinecke here was talking with our parents uh, about um, helping our kids navigate this culture with, with so many pressures in that area. And it was awesome. We got another one coming up in February. We'd love for you to jump in. Anyway, the third reason that my dad wanted to have a little time with me had to do with the way I was treating my sister. I was not the only one that was growing up and going through changes. She was too. She was 17 months younger than me. We grew up together. When we were little, we were buddies like two chipmunks just having a blast. When I hit junior high, I just had something terrible turned inside of me, and I got kind of mean and surly. And so Dad said to me, he said, you know what? Uh, your sister Cindy's going through uh, a, a really important time for you to be a good brother to her. She needs to know that you're on her side. She needs to know that you're supporting her. She does not need you being mean to her. And, and, and we had this talk. And, and, it, and I so appreciate it because I sensed in it that my dad was talking to, to me about this uh, because he loved her, but because he loved me too. And, 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 the, and the problem was I wasn't loving my sister. 
And, and it's not that he didn't love me. In fact, that was clear. But it hurt him how I was hurting my sister. Now, I would say that we are living in a really interesting time, not only in our culture, but, but as the church, where we have many reasons to be hurtful, even with those we love, even with those in our families, even with those in our church family. And, and what are we going to do with this? So I have good news for you today. There's a place we can go to get some clarity and get some help and maybe find ourselves never perfect, but growing in a way that honors Lord, the Lord and, 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 and he, we know that he loves us. And you know what else? He loves it when we treat one another with grace. When we treat people in our lives that have shortcomings like he treats us in spite of our shortcomings. Today we're going to uh, begin chapter uh, 2 of Philippians and, uh, and you're going to sense here a very fatherly tone in the Apostle Paul's uh, uh, words here. And, and he wasn't, of, cor- of course, they were all his brothers and sisters technically, but he had brought them the good news of Jesus. He had been there when they were born into the kingdom of God. He got to witness all of that. God got to pour his love and grace through the Apostle Paul into the lives of these new Christians. And they were new Christians. They were maturing and had a ways to go. He loved them. They gave him joy. He says, every time I think about you guys, I pray with joy. He did. And he said, I'm confident of this, that God who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And God was doing that. But as we move into this section, we realize that Paul's joy was um, impacted by something he saw. He hurt by the way that some of them were hurting each other. And, 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 and this is not a shock. These weren't weird people. This is growing in Christ. This is maturing in Christ. And part of it is, is learning to understand that this amazing miracle that God did, that we might be at peace with him, that we might be um, assured that we wake up in the morning knowing we're loved by God, that we go to bed knowing we're loved by God. That happened because of the cross. And each of us here that are a Christian enjoy that. But as we mature as a Christian, we realize that it's not just a me thing. This isn't just me and Jesus. It's a we thing. It's a we thing. Jesus prayed, Father, may they be one as we are one. Because he knew the beauty of living life that's defined by love and security rather than brokenness and insecurity. Jesus said, you know, the world will know that you're my disciples, that you sent me as they love one another. So let's uh, hear this word together in Jesus' name. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Paul said, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, If any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and of one mind. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of the Father. We see a couple things here. The first thing is that as Paul is addressing uh, a struggle in this early church, he doesn't scold them, but he points their hearts towards heaven. He reminds them first of who they are and what they enjoy as children of God. Interesting. But we saw this in the life of Jesus too, didn't we? You see, when Jesus was, was facing um, trials or temptations, they both have the same effect. They, they kind of shake us, and, 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 and their temptations to doubt, their temptations to be more controlled by what's going on around us than the promises of God from heaven. Before Jesus. Um, temptation, right after his baptism, when for 40 days he would be in the desert. And the enemy would, 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 would come after him. Before that happened, you know what happened? At his baptism, the heavens opened up. What did God say? He said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Do you have any encouragement in being united with Christ. Because if you do, what the Father said about Jesus, he says about you. This is my daughter whom I love. This is my daughter whom I love. So as Jesus, in a time where if he was living with insecurity, the devil would have eaten him alive. He was living in the security of knowing who he was in God's eyes. The love of God became a powerful motivator at that time. Same thing before Jesus went to the cross. He took his, those three guys up on, we call it the Mount of Transfiguration because Jesus' glory was revealed in that moment. But Jesus also heard something in, in that moment. Familiar. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So one of the reasons that we regularly are called to worship where we sing the praises of God and today we are going to receive the gifts of His grace is because in living in a broken world where our natural instincts, our shared fallenness, will much more easily move towards division or hurt We need something outside of us, something bigger than us, something more powerful than us. Like the love of God 
expressed to us in the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus not only speaks assurance of salvation in our relationship with God. It reminds us of who our king is and what it means to serve him as his citizens. Our king is the one who uh, prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to, uh, to the cross. Remember what he prayed? He said, Father, if there is another way, if this cup could be taken from me, but not my will, but your will. In his humanity, in, in, in emptying himself of all his rights and privileges as God, and being like us, in that moment he processed that like we would have processed that, and yet he rested in the sovereignty of God. He rested in the sovereignty of God, and as he, as he went into that moment, it was as painful and as difficult as he thought it would be. They stood Jesus on the balcony after brutalizing him, and they've mocked him now with a purple robe and a crown of thorns and says to the crowd, this is your king. (laughs) That's our king? What are they going to do with our king? What is he going to let them do? He's the son of God. They said... We have no king but Caesar. Then what shall I do with your king? Crucify him. Crucify him, the crowd said. In that moment, it was impossible in that day to grasp what was going on. In a culture that basically sought honor and avoided shame, how could this man be anything but a fool? Was he? In his book, Humilitas, John Dixon was reflecting on one of the ways that Jesus changed Western culture. And it had to do with changing the way that people think about humility. There was uh, an excavation that was discovered in a guardhouse wall on Palatine Hill in Rome. I'm reading from Dixon's book, Humilitas. And there's a picture of this here, I think. Archaeologists uncovered a piece of anti-Christian graffiti dating back to the 2nd or 3rd century when large numbers of Christians were still being imprisoned and executed. The crude drawing, about 50 centimeters by 30 centimeters, shows a crucified man with a donkey's head indicating stupidity. Next to the cross stands a man with arm raised in adoration toward the figure on the cross. And below the image, scribbled in very bad Greek words, are the words, Alexamenus worships his God. The most plausible explanation of the graffiti imagines Roman guards taking perverse pleasure in deriding an incarcerated Christian named Alexamenos by depicting his Lord as a mule-headed loser. In an honor-shame culture, what else would Jesus' crucifixion have meant? Christians took the other option. For them, the crucifixion was not evidence of Jesus' humiliation, but proof that greatness can express itself in humility 
the noble choice to lower yourselves for the sake of others. This is our king. As citizens of heaven, we live cross-shaped lives. It was the cross that opened the way for us to go to heaven. And when we find ourselves asking the questions, it seems foolish. He does not deserve to be forgiven. We can say that's absolutely right. He does not deserve to be forgiven. We are not dealing now what, what, what a person deserves, but what a person needs. And they may never acknowledge it, never receive it, but as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to choose humility over vain deceit or selfish ambition. It's not fair. Of course it's not fair. But we look at our Savior and we ask ourselves, what does this mean for me in my relationship? It means that I am free to be secure in his love for me, that I don't find my sense of peace in terms of how others see me or my power over them or control over them. Certainly when it comes to forgiveness, unforgiveness is that poison that we drink thinking it will hurt others. And we know what it does to us. So in the life of the early church, we see that the cross was not only that reality that gave them peace, that all was well between them and God. God is their friend. But it was a call to take the way of humility in dealing one with another. Why? Why? Even when that love for one another was tremendously difficult, they remember that we had a Savior who endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He not, only, he not only went to the cross because he loved us. Of course he loved us. He died for us. But he loved the Father. And this was his Father's will. There may be times when we are called to not break fellowship, to not... Um, to, to not um, pull ourselves away and shut ourselves off from others. Maybe they deserve it. Maybe it's not fair. But as we're called to extend grace, we do that not only because we desire to love them as Christ loves them, and we're working on that, but because we love the Father, and we know that this brings him honor. So today, as we prepare our hearts to receive the gifts of grace, Aren't you grateful that this gift brings Jesus front and center? Because I would suggest that in our relationship with God, when we take our eyes off the cross, that's when we drift into insecurity. That's when we're prone to the pestering of the enemy who begins to convince us that the way of selfish ambition or vain conceit that's the way that will give us a sense of dignity and wholeness as a person and in the process cutting us off from others who love us. So this morning, we are communing in two directions, aren't we? We're communing with our Heavenly Father as we receive again the gifts of grace, the body and blood of Jesus, and we're doing this together. 
Now, I don't expect this to happen in this gathering today, but I've got friends that uh, happen to live in Africa, Chad and Cameroon. This friend now lives in heaven. <laughs> He's a citizen of heaven that's home. His name is Silas, and I went to seminary with him, and we were talking about communion services. And he says, yeah, I remember communion service when, when as, as, as we were around the table and we were thinking about Jesus and what he had done for us, one fellow got up and he said across the room, I am sorry, brother, what's his name? You borrowed me your hoe. And I said I lost it, but I didn't. <laughs> I have it. And I'm sorry. And I'm going to return it to you. He said, we found that as we were contemplating the finished work of Jesus, how could I hold that against my brother? I would ask him to forgive me. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. But as we move towards communion, I know that there are lots of things that are going on in our community, lots of things going on in our families, even in our churches. I'll tell you where there's hope. It's not asking who deserves what or what's fair. It's looking to the cross and saying, how does that cross affect my choices and my actions today? Let's pray.